few weeks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it's just great to be here this morning, and I can't thank you enough for everybody in this bitter cold weather. There could have been a hundred other places uh, that came here. And so, Lord, I just pray as we get into your word and we talk about the important subject of doubt, uh, Lord, that you'll give us strength in these weeks to come. And uh, Lord, we know that you love us, and we know that uh, you love that we can talk to you and share with you uh, the questions in life, and that you're there. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. This whole idea of doubt and this whole series, these next six weeks, talking about the very serious questions that people have uh, about doubt reminds me of a group. And this young man represents a growing number of people who are in this group. And culturally, they're calling this new group nuns. Now, this is not Catholic nuns, N-U-N-N. It's N-O-N-E-S, nuns. And here's what it means. It's a group of people who, when asked about God or asked about spiritual things, say, I do not have an uh, affiliation with any church. Nuns. Matter of fact, they would say, I really don't want anything to do with the church. Now, it's interesting. When they identified this group, it started back around 1990 that this group showed up. And there was about 8% of the United States, the public, that qualified as nuns. Like, I want nothing to do. I don't want to be affiliated with the church. Today, that group has grown to 23%. That's all ages. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The young man that we just heard from would be considered a millennial. Now, if you know what a millennial is, that uh, are those individuals born between 1981 and 1997. Now, that group, it's 36% want nothing to do or to be affiliated with the church. Now, here's one of the reasons. I think the church, if we're not careful, we don't deal with the tough questions. We give easy answers. And there's a lot of people, they have a lot of really tough questions. And if they keep coming to church and they never get those addressed, eventually they'll find other ways to get spiritual answers. So we're going to take this very seriously. Isaiah 118 says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Greg Laurie, who is a a fantastic communicator and evangelist in California, said this when asked about doubt. I love this description. He says, when the warm, moist air of our expectations collide with the icy, cold silence of God, storm clouds of doubt begin to form. And I think that is true about doubt. Matter of fact, I think doubt can be compared to Indiana storms. Can you not all relate with Indiana storms? Now, here's what I mean. In the spring of the year, it's those gentle showers, and sometimes we have these really basic little doubts. It's no big deal. They come and they go. And then there's other times it's like a summer storm. It hits quick. It's violent. Uh, I mean, it can cause damage. It's those times in our life when we have a crisis where life can change in 24 hours. I mean, like our entire life can change. And it's in the midst of that crisis that we have questions like, God, why is this happening? And then sometimes doubts are like a winter storm, an intense winter storm. Now, an Indiana winter storm, I don't know about you, but time slows down whether we want it to or not. Your plans change, and they can last for a long, long time. Now, I don't know about you, but I whine about the winter. 
Um, I count days until spring. I mean, it's just not a good thing. Uh, but I, I know eventually spring is coming. But I got to tell you, uh, when I thought about the intensity of doubts, uh, there's a, a young man, his name's Josh Natalie. I didn't even ask him for permission to do this, but, so Josh, I apologize. But we were at our uh, life group, and we were talking about the holidays, and he's from Erie, Pennsylvania. That's where he grew up. Anybody remember Erie, Pennsylvania over the holidays? Remember that story? Yeah, good times. Yeah, Josh raised his hand. Thanks for identifying that. Okay, so we're talking about snow, and I go, yeah, Josh, I think I heard Erie on the news. And he said, yeah. I said, well, how bad was the storm? So we have a picture of the, the blizzard in Erie, Pennsylvania. Would you guys pull it up? Yeah, there it is. Okay, so <laughs> give me an example of how bad it was. In a 30-hour stretch, they had 54 inches of snow. Yeah, we think we've got it bad, Okay. Now, sometimes doubts are just like that, that you feel like, I am buried. Like, man, I don't, I don't think I can get out of this. And that's what we want to get into. Matter of fact, I love this particular verse. It's Job 38.1. If you've ever read through the book of Job, matter of fact, if you're having serious doubts, that's not the book to start with. <laughs> but if you, if you know there's a tug and war between Job and God, and his friends are involved in this this train wreck that Job is going through. And finally, Job just can't take it anymore. And he starts to question God. Like, God, why is this happening? As if the world revolves around Job. And I can relate to that. All of us can. And I love God's response in 38.1. And God answered Job out of the storm. And then if you go on and read Job 38 and 39, I mean, uh, the greatest rapper in the world doesn't compete with how God is just bringing it like, oh, Job, were you there when I did this? I don't think so. Were you there? I mean, he just keeps bringing it, bringing it. And it's his reminder that, hey, out of this storm, I am in control. It's okay to have doubts. God says, I don't care that you ask the questions, but at the end of the day, remember this one thing, I'm still in control. That's that's what we pray, that's what we plead, is that all of us will at least reach that point. So we're just going to break it down this way, and the three sections this morning, uh, foundationally talking about doubt. The first uh, question is simply this, what is doubt? And go ahead and turn over to John chapter 20. What is doubt? I think the best way to frame what doubt is, is looking at three misconceptions of doubt. Here's the first misconception if you're taking notes. Doubt is the opposite of faith. And what I mean by that is just because you have questions and doubt, that doesn't mean you don't have faith. And we need to understand that. Doubt is actually being stuck between certainty and uncertainty. You can have a, an extremely strong faith, and yet there may be aspects of your own theology that you're wrestling with. If you think about your spiritual journey, every one of you, I guarantee somewhere along the line, uh, your parents told you something, and as you got older in your faith, you're like, I love my parents, but they're wrong. There's something about their faith that doesn't match your faith experience. And as you grow in your spiritual growth, there's just things that at one time you were like, that is absolutely the gospel. And then you're like, no, that's just my opinion. But that doesn't mean you don't have a strong faith. It just simply means that you're asking the tough questions, which is good. The second misconception is that doubt is unforgivable. That isn't true. 
Psalms 103, 12 says that God forgives us as far as the east is from the west. God says, I know you have doubting questions. And then what I love about the Bible is the Bible allows us to see all the men and the women who had doubts, and God doesn't hide that from us. He wants all of us to know about the doubts that others had. Genesis chapter 3, it started with the question, why? Do you remember Adam? Remember his first question? Why? Lord, did you give me woman? How many men have asked that question? Can I have an amen? amen. Yeah, all the guys are like, I'm not raising my Okay, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, Marie's not here. That's why I'm a little cocky. Okay, so all of us have these why questions from the very beginning. Psalm 73 is one of the greatest chapters for people who are just struggling with the tough questions. The writer of it, Asaph, is actually the choir director of Israel, and Asaph has this dialogue with God, and basically his question is, God, it seems to me that the world is out of control, that there's so much injustice, are you paying attention? And that's what the entire psalm starts to unpack for us. The book of Jonah is one huge why. Why, Lord, do you love Nineveh? Acts chapter 10, Peter has this doubt about God loving and showing mercy to the Gentiles. And then you remember Paul? You remember his question of doubt in 2 Corinthians 12? God, three times I cried to you for this flesh, this, this pain, this agony that I'm feeling. And yet, are you listening to the suffering that I'm going through? Are you there? What's that tell us? It tells us that the men and women who desperately were seeking God, they had their own doubts. What's your doubt this morning? Some of you have brought some pretty heavy doubts in here. And some of you, like me, probably wish you could have just one hour with Jesus. How many wish you'd have one hour? How many of you have some questions? I shared this first service. I really think the first 59 minutes, I would bawl like a baby. And I'd say, you know, Lord, give me one minute. I've get, I'll get a, got, a, got a couple of questions. You know, that's probably the way it would go down. But we all, if we could... I have a list of questions. I heard somebody said, that's why heaven is for eternity, because we have an eternity of questions. And I think it's going to be an awesome place, because I think that the answers we may not have here, we're going to get all of our answers someday. I think that's an amazing thought. The other misconception is simply this. Doubts are unhealthy. Now, I want you to look at John chapter 20. It's a very popular section of scripture. Uh, you've heard the story time and time again, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in a house again, and Thomas was with them. And through the doors, though they were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now let me just say a couple of things about Thomas and why his doubts, though some would say were unhealthy, we're actually healthy. Uh, first of all, Thomas, his first name isn't Doubting. 
But you think about his entire life, that's what people framed him as, doubting Thomas. He really, I think, made one huge mistake, and it wasn't the questions or the doubts. Did anybody see what the mistake was? When all the disciples huddled together and they were talking about the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, where was Thomas? By himself. And when we struggle in life and we think with our tough questions, the best thing to do is just go, go in alone, uh, that isn't the answer. That's why you'll hear time and time again to get in a life group or get in a small group. Do whatever it takes, but get with other believers so that you can share with one another and help each other with the doubts. The other thing that I love about Thomas is we never tell the rest of the story. Now, let me share with you what I mean by the rest of the story. Do you know what tradition tells us about how Thomas died? Thomas took the message of Jesus Christ, and uh, many theologians and scholars estimate that he made it all the way to India, and he was killed with the spear run through him. So here's a guy, just because he said, I want to physically experience Jesus Christ that I know, I know of the resurrection. Why that's the only thing we remember about him, I'll never know. Because he spent his entire life after that just sharing to the point he would die for Jesus Christ. Uh, Thomas is the kind of guy that I'd want on my side. If you're taking notes, all three of you, here's what I would love for you to write down. February 11th, big day, February 11th. Uh, if you haven't heard the name Mark Middleburg, he is, he's unbelievable. So when you read some of the books, Case for Christ, and a lot of the stuff that's come out from Willow Creek. Mark Middleburg uh, is in the middle of a lot of this stuff. He's outstanding. Well, he's going to be at Sherwood Oaks. He's going to be speaking on the east side. They're going to live stream it over here, so we'll have the video on the morning of the 11th. But in the evening, he's going to be at Sherwood Oaks East, and he's going to do a question and answer time. It's a great opportunity for all of us, and if you have friends that have these really tough questions, please, on that Sunday night, you need to check this out because it's going to give you an outstanding opportunity to talk to your friends about these tough issues. By the way, the Sunday morning message, do you know what he's going to deal with? The number one question, I can tell you as a minister, I get asked about God, suffering. Why does God allow so much suffering in the world? And so mark that in a big way. Number two is simply this, what causes doubt? 1 John 4 forces that God is greater than anything that this world offers. I love this quote. Christians should believe simply, but Christians should not simply believe. You've probably seen the bumper sticker. It says, uh, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Now, I want you to think how a non-believer reads that bumper sticker. See, we're going, God said it. I'm cool. I could care less about you. That's really not what God's saying. Is God said it, I would love to sit down and share this with you. That's really the bumper sticker we ought to be carrying in our lives. But here's the deal. We're honest as Christians. Part of the reason doubt creeps in is we're lazy. We show up at church. Uh, we sing the songs or we don't sing the songs. We listen to the sermon, maybe. We go home and by lunch we're like, eh, it was okay. And then we go through it all over again as if that's how we're going to grow in our faith. How are we going to grow in our faith? It's saying, God, I take your word seriously and I want to be in it on a regular basis. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says to study and show yourself approved. 2 Timothy 4.2, always be prepared in season and out. Some of you that are going through the challenge, we issued a 40-day challenge. Uh, today's text out of Jude, verses 22 and 23, talks about seeking a greater faith. And how do we really grow in our faith? By getting in the Word. Now, here's why I want to share that. Here's one way that I, I really believe... Um, doubt creeps in, is if we are always seeking an emotional high. Now, here's why I say that. So many times when somebody comes to Jesus Christ, there was an emotional high that came with it. And I think that's awesome. Um, I don't know if I shared this with you. I probably didn't because it was a, it was a major failure. But uh, last summer, uh, a buddy of mine put this trip together for me and a group of guys to climb uh, the highest summit in uh, the lower 48. It's out in California called Mount Whitney. Um, they tell me, rumor has it, that if you reach the summit, okay, if you reach uh, an extreme summit, that the average time that somebody stays at the summit is about 15 minutes. They take a few snapshots. Uh, they pray that God will spare their life going down, and that's the summit experience. And if you think spiritually, when you've had these like intense mountaintop experiences, how long does that really last? Not very long. And the sad thing is there's people that spend their whole life and that's how they gauge their spiritual health. Am I having this rush? So here's the deal. Are you going to have that rush every Sunday going to church? No. No. I can tell you as a minister, absolutely not. I mean, if you're seeking an emotional high every Sunday and that's how you gauge your faith, that's a dangerous place to be. And I think that's when doubts creep in. I think with God, it's like, you just got to stay the course. You just stay the course. And eventually, here's what's going to happen. You'll have a summit. And that summit will be incredible because you've laid the foundation. Last of all is simply this. How can we grow through our doubts? James 4.2 simply says that we should ask and seek God on a consistent basis. Now, here's a slide if you want to, and we'll get this information to you. We're going to be talking about this in the life groups. It's a good example of what I, I love, and this isn't my stuff. That's why I love it. It's faith. But I want you to look at it because I think this is really where we grow the most. It simply is through faith. Find the root of the doubt. I love this. The A is ask God and others for help. The I is identify a course of action and then take care of your spiritual health and then hold your remaining doubts loosely. All of us have doubts, but are you willing to say, Lord, I know that in time you're going to help me work through these doubts. Now, um, there's one of those that really hit me hard. This is an entire sermon, and uh, I could spend so much time on that one thing alone. So I, I looked through that, and I thought, is there something there, Lord, that just hits me hard? And it's the very first one. Find the root of your doubt. I thought about it. And I, you know, God, sometimes when you're preparing a message, there's things you haven't remembered for years intentionally. <laughs> and God will be, oh, yeah, John, remember that? And so I, I had one of those times I was going through. I was a junior in Bible college, and a bunch of my buddies got together, and we were talking about how much we missed playing baseball. And we said, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just have a team? We know we can't afford uniforms. It's a, it's a Bible college. And, but could we have a... Get a team. So I went to a professor, 
And he said, if you can get enough guys, you can have a team. I said, oh, no, 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 we'll have enough guys, you know. Uh, it was kind of embarrassing, some of the players that we had. But, uh, but anyway, we got this team together, a bunch of ragtag guys. And I remember we're playing these games, kind of just pickup games with, like, community colleges. We'd play anybody. Like, if you worked at the zoo, we'll play you. You know, we didn't care. We were just in the same. So I remember the very first game, I'm playing third base, beautiful day. Uh, the guy pitching was uh, actually a really good high school pitcher, and we weren't getting beat that bad. The seven-inning game. So this is the sixth inning, and I remember the thought of, Lord, this is an amazing day. I get to play baseball again. And uh, I just thought, it can't get any better than this. And then all of a sudden, uh, I, I saw the pitcher signal for the coach. Coach came out, and they're nodding. I'm like, well, that's awful nice. And then the coach turns around and goes, Robertson, come here. And I come in and he goes, you're pitching. Whoa! I said, the last time I pitched was like two innings in eighth grade. Don't think that qualifies. He goes, eh, you got a good arm. Yeah, smacks you on the butt. It's a weird thing guys do. So anyway, I'm like, so I remember standing there and the thought entered my mind like, why am I here? This is not what I wanted at all, you know. Now, I would love to tell you that I struck out the side you know, that one of the guys was watching with a speed gun. And he goes, call the Cardinals. we got a reliever. It didn't end that way. It was a, just, let me just say it was a long inning. I think I heard the other team say, hey, he'd be good for batting practice. You know, so it was a, it was a bad, bad situation. Now, if they were to have a picture of me and a sports heading the next day, there'd be one word, doubt. Now, I may have bluffed as if I knew what I was doing. Uh, this is how bad it was. The next inning, this kid that had ripped one, it was way, um, he liked me. Anyway, he, I was back at third base, the kid hits a triple, and I'm standing there, and uh, I, he goes, do you pitch much? And I'm like, do you, how do you throw a curve? Now, that's when you know you're not a very good pitcher, and he's like showing me how to throw a curve. Now, that, that tells you right away, this guy's not very good. Now, here's my point about doubt. That's a baseball game. That game meant nothing. But in life, uh, when I think about doubts, it's not that I doubt God, I don't doubt his word, but I doubt myself all the time. I cannot tell you how insecure I am when I leave this building. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, God, are you sure? I mean, do you know my thoughts? Do you know the baggage I'm carrying? Do you know how insecure I am? Uh, if you're insecure because you're at a, a workplace and you're around a lot of non-believers and you bring up the fact you're going to church and you feel, you know that awkward feeling you feel? Now, let me intensify that a little bit. Anywhere I go, and they don't know me at all, and I'm talking to them, oh, what do you do? The moment I say, oh, I'm a preacher, oh, so you're the person I'd like to stay away from my children. I mean, they have that look. Like, I, they just this tick, and they change completely on the spot. They apologize for their language. It's the weird, hey, I'm so sorry I said that, you know. Oh, I'm so sorry I did that. And, hey, I'll go back to church, even if they don't go to the same church. I'm like, I, I just cut my hair. I don't care, you know. <laughs> I know what it is to feel insecure. I know what it is to have doubts, not about God, doubts about you. So when it says, find the root of your doubt, I thought, Lord, you know, that's me. And maybe some of you feel the same way. You feel stupid even asking the questions. Um, I remember my freshman year of Bible college, how 
stupid, and I mean stupid, I felt, because I didn't even know the books of the Bible. So here I am studying to be, and then remember the teacher's like, and the book of Lamentations, I'm like, what is that? You know, I remember, I remember. So if you've been in church your whole life, there's these insecurities like, oh my land, I should know this stuff. I should know this stuff. So I just want you to know we're in this together. The doubts, the insecurities, the, the battles that we have, we're in it together. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. I love what John Ortberg said. I put all my faith in a third day God, but I live in a second day world. Now I want you to think about that. We put all our faith in Jesus Christ and the resurrection, but the majority of people around us, they're living in a second day world. They can't imagine a world where there's hope, and we have hope. Even through the doubts, we have hope. When I was a kid, probably one of the neatest things I ever saw was uh, Barnum and Bailey's Circus, and uh, I, I still remember I used to love to watch the trapeze, and especially when they did it without the net. Man, that is just, that's a trip. I, I, I remember the first time I was about 12 years old, and we had a little binoculars. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Hey, what if he dies? Well, that's kind of cool. You know, so anyway, you remember you're looking. But have you ever studied the trapeze? It's a pretty amazing thing. And, you know, it really comes down to the catcher and the flyer. Now, the flyer is the one that gets all the applause. Everybody loves it. But uh, I read this interview, and the flyer said, here's what you need to understand. The most imp important person is the catcher. 100% of the time, it's the catcher. And the worst thing you can do as a flyer is you're the one reaching out, trying to grab him. That's not how it works. It's a very simple process. You let go, you lift up your arms, and then you just let him do what he does. And I think that's what we do with our doubts. There are times like, Lord, I don't have all the answers, but I'm just throwing up my arms, and I trust you. And God isn't going to let us down. Now, imagine if you're a flyer, that split second you let go is sheer terror. And sometimes that's what your doubts feel like, sheer terror. Like, God, I just want answers. I just need answers. And he's there. I just want you to know he is there. So I just want to pray over you this morning. And in just a few moments, we're going to take communion. Because some of you right now are carrying some pretty intense doubts. And so I just want you to know God is there for you. And these next few weeks may be hard, but hopefully they're rewarding when together we're going to look at some of these tough issues. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the courage to just let go and realize that you're there. You're there to catch us in a world that is really a second-day world that desperately needs the third-day resurrection and the hope. And so, Lord, I just pray for everyone here that uh, has some struggles, that has their own personal doubts, the Lord, that uh, together we can work through these things and we can grow in our faith and to trust you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.